Welcome back to the Mysteria podcast. I'm Marcus De Silva, and joining me today is one Ms. Joanna Timkew. How you doing? I am so good. How are you? So doing excited to good. be here. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Nice sunny day popping up over here, so I'm having a good oh. time. Well, we have a thunder and lightning storm going on over here in Ontario, so <laughs> the <okay>. usual. <laughs> the lockdown excitement, yeah. Yeah, you know what? I was actually pretty excited because if I don't have to be anywhere, I'm like, let it rain, baby. And then when I do, I'm like, God damn it. Always the way it goes. <laughs> so I, I think because you do, you've done so many things. I think rather than me uh, mm -hmm. butcher your introduction, how about you just tell us, uh, give us a little, give us a little background mm -hmm. details on you. Well, I think, I think Marcus, the problem is, is that when I talked to you, I zigzagged over my entire life <laughs> and uh, it was probably pretty confusing, but I'm more than happy to take it away and just kind of start where, where I was born and go from there. Um, my name is Joanna Timkew. I am the youngest of five kids. I was born in Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, and yes, I am a twin and I just stayed in basically Vancouver, my whole life through to university, went to cooking school there. And then after that, I really decided to exp expand my horizons and really follow my ambition. But yeah, I was very much anchored in, in Vancouver um, up until my early to mid twenties. Yeah. And uh, beautiful city uh, really has come so far since when I was young. I remember growing up, um, seen a sign and it said Vancouver population 300,000 people and me being like how much is that dad and getting him to try and explain it to me and now I that wouldn't even be uh, I think it's in the millions uh, now it's like two yeah three million or something no like that. it is so but um I just feel so lucky to have you know been brought up in Vancouver because it really is the most beautiful city in the world and I can't believe that I got to grow up there and that I get to go back there all the time. I live in Ottawa now, lived in Toronto for a while, lived in the UK as well. And um, getting to go back there, I feel really, really privileged. So um, yeah, that's it. I, that was kind of like, that, that's kind of the, the nuts and bolts of where I grew up. Uh, but did you want to know about professionally as well? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay, so um, went to UBC. I actually went to Point Grey, high school with Seth Rogen he was a year below me we oh. did a writing class together we actually made a film together as well <laughs> I remember there were there were hot dogs involved I don't know <laughs> sounds about right actually super bad super bad the movie was actually based on my high school right yeah yeah, yeah. Point Grey and his production company is called that so went there went to UBC afterwards did my degree in art history everybody's like what are you going to do with that and I'm like I don't know but I just know I liked it <laughs> and I really did enjoy it so um how things go nowadays anyways I don't it doesn't seem like anybody can get anywhere with a bachelor's anyways so might as well do something that you like <laughs> really like that and I remember one summer I was really feeling like shit I didn't know where my life was going. My dad was like, you need to go see a career counselor. And I was like, I'm going to cooking school, sir. And he was like, well, I'm not paying for it. And I was like, well, I'm getting a student loan and I'm going. And he was like, well, you really need to talk to a career counselor. And I was like, nope, I know what I want to do. 
I want to work with food. I want to work in the media. And that's what I'm going to do. So um, went to cooking school, uh, super intense, really hard work, but <laughs> realized that you don't learn anything until you actually work in real restaurants. And I'm not talking, um, you know, no shame, love Cactus Club, but not really those kind of bigger box places. Yeah. you know, places that are franchises or chains or whatever. Like if you actually work in a scratch, scratch kitchen, uh, a little bit more bohemian, something like that. Um, it, the, the experience is insane. I went into my first day in my apprenticeship at this restaurant. It was one of Vancouver's best restaurants. It was called Aurora. It was tiny Aurora Bistro. And, um, they just handed me a pig's head. <laughs> <laughs> cook something <laughs> and they said do something with it and it was a test but I had just been reading about the, this whole book about animal parts I actually think I have it up here it's a book about cooking pig oh I gave it away now because I'm vegan so <laughs> vegan now but um yeah I took it and I put it in a simmering pot with like cloves and onions and I boiled it down and um ended up making something called head cheese out of it which is almost like a pate not a pate, I would say like a pate de campagne, which is like a chunkier pate, but with a lot of almost gelatin in it. And that's from the cartilage. Uh, so yeah, I'll never forget that moment where I pulled <laughs> pulled the, the brazing pig head up and being like, now it's time to take the face off. And I had to do that. I remember thinking, can't go back from this. But I really do. I have such a respect for animals and you, that restaurant used the entire portion of the pig. So it, it really wasn't a wasteful place. It was very, very respectful. Everything was certified humane, organic. Uh, we had a personal relationship with farmers. So, um, so, so that was that. But that ended up closing in 2008 due to this huge recession that we were having. And uh, I remember when it closed, I was like, okay, guess it's time to now transition into media and I ended up looking at Craigslist at the time Craigslist this is how far away this was from now and typing in every variable for like media and food that I could come up with and then for some reason like a culinary production coordinator role popped up in Vancouver my chances of finding that were like so slim unless I punched in those words <laughs> and somehow I did and I got like the one job with somebody that wanted to foray into media, but also um, had like the background I did. So I just kind of went from there, worked behind the scenes on this show, uh, this show, this cooking show that was filmed in Vancouver. The hosts were actually journalists. Um, after that ended, I went and was inspired to get my master's in journalism because I was like, I want to make media. I want to do this. If no one's going to let me, I'll just do it myself. So I'll get... Um, my master's in this and I ended up doing that in the UK um, spent some time in that was in Scotland and I spent some time in London working for a, a really popular British magazine food magazine called delicious fantastic experience and I was just getting all these things under my belt and then finally when my master's was over I came back to Vancouver and I just started pitching pitching out to um, TV stations, segments, and and cooking things, and da 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 da, da and somebody finally picked me up. 
And it just kind of went like that. I just, you know, one thing after another until I finally got my really big break, which was, um, I saw it as my huge break. <laughs> it was just a stepping stone. But for me, I was like, oh my God, uh, producing a cooking show for CBC in Toronto, moved over there, did that. And uh, yeah, just slowly started building, writing more for newspapers, magazines, having regular guest appearances on cooking shows, uh, pardon me, on, on daytime shows, cooking guests, just doing all of that. And um, anytime you picture like, like somebody who works in food media, which is anything from like food styling or recipe development or like production or, or being on camera, like I did all of it all the time. That is how I made my living. Um, very, very, very hard. And yeah, I just kind of ended up being this um, jack of all trades, um, food media person that could go on camera and be with Marilyn Dennis or <clears throat> Stephen and Chris on CBC and be able to do a cooking segment. But then the next day I would have to work behind the scenes and, you know, maybe do food styling for something. Maybe I was writing an article for somebody. Um, yeah, and it all just kind of went from there. So from an art history degree to um, cooking with Marilyn Dennis, it was, it was definitely an evolution, but it was one that I saw so early on. I was like, I'm gonna do this. This is what I wanna do. You know, when I was feeling like shit a summer that I didn't know what to do with my life, you know, I was just watching the Food Network. And this was before Instagram or anything, right? Like nobody, this was in, you know, the mid 2000s. So it's not like anybody had the ability to go do that. If anybody did that, they were like, how do we do this? And I was just like, I don't know. I just see myself doing it. And, and I just, you know, one step after another, after another, I was, I was able to do it. <clears throat> um, but then it came to a point where uh, I was getting married. <clears throat> My husband moved to Ottawa because uh, he's a diplomat, very different career than me. We can talk about that later. And I ended up just stepping back and saying like, I just, I can't, I d what habits am I perpetuating? Um, I don't think I'm, what I'm doing is right for the environment. Um, I'm questioning using animal products, so on and so forth. So I stepped back and just really needed space to be able to <clears throat> process if I even wanted to be in that industry anymore. Not only because of, I think the habits it perpetuates, but because at the end of the day, no matter if I was a TV chef or not, I was in show business. And as you know, Canadian as it was, like it was, I was in show business and I was like, I don't think I'm built for this because I'm a highly sensitive person and there's a lot of assholes. <laughs> like, so I have so many stories about that, but, um, yeah, step back, put my MSC in journalism to work by being, be, by becoming a communications advisor and then slowly step back and started doing segments again, writing, but with more of like a political activist angle, still do recipe development. It's all plant-based. Just everything that I do has a purpose. It isn't to get me on TV or get me in a magazine. It's to have something that I feel needs to be said that's really important and pertinent and topical to this day and age said about food as opposed to just being like, I'll just take whatever I can get. So I think you asked me what I did and I didn't even say it. <laughs> now I am a chef, food journalist and strategic communications advisor at the same time. But um, 
My goal one day is to have my own. Uh, I have a, a very tiny, tiny, teeny, tiny little production company that I operate for myself. Uh, but my my goal is to have a social purpose uh, media company uh, that that you know documentaries, short films, um, and you know, anything I produce out of there, whether it be writing, everything has the same purpose, which is to like inform, engage, help people to empathize and, you know, see, see, give people the information for the changes that we need to see in the world food wise. So whether or not that comes from our actions or just comes from our perspective, whatever that looks like, that's what, that's what my goal is to do. So, so I went on for a while. No, Sip. Well thanks so much for being here and uh <laughs> <laughs> whoa that's a wrap right there perfect no okay we're done <laughs> but, uh, well i there's a lot there we'll, we'll kind of dive in so all much that, but, um uh, uh we'll back, yeah. we'll back, <laughs> back, back to, we need to put a voiceover over that's like I'm a chef and a food journalist <laughs> and now I'm a strategic communications advisor and this is how I got there like let's do that <laughs> We can do a voiceover. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, then people can be like, skip. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, next section. <laughs> um, how about, um, well, let me ask you. So uh, we kind of got into this when we um, when we chatted the other day, um, which is always so funny, it, it, you know, because I haven't seen you in person. Probably in six years or so. Know. No, yeah. Maybe more At least. even, you know, since mm -hmm. it's been a while. So it's always kind of fun when I... Um, do the uh you know pre-podcast chats or whatever and they're pretty much always the same thing it's like okay you know 15 20 minutes we'll go over you know just kind of build a bit of report it's like 90 minutes later <laughs> no i can't but you're just so goddamn likable and <laughs> and you know it <laughs> well you are you're just so nice and such a great conversationalist so yeah i can definitely see it going over I actually had a conversation with someone a director uh, that I was asking about how she runs her own little media business and she was the shyest person I've ever met in our conversation you know me our conversation was so there's so much air space <laughs> and I've never had a conversation like that in my life and I still think I like go to bed thinking about it <clears throat> and I wake up thinking about it <laughs> Everyone's like so thank thank god thank god you are you yeah exactly it works well for this medium right so it absolutely does yes now when um so you did your uh you did your art history degree right after yes so you're 20 no not no 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 i had no plans right out of high school right out of high school my mom's like you're gonna be working and i was like i don't know what to do with my life and she was like no, no, no. I was the youngest of a bunch of kids, you see, and me and my twin weren't planned. So my parents were like, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? Which is how your grandma comes into play, because your grandma was actually like our caregiver growing up. And um, my mom was like, and my, my brother also has some disabilities as well. So my mom, my parents were like, oh, my God, we have twins. <laughs> what do we do and uh so my parents were definitely not helicopter parents in I would what would I have loved them to be oh absolutely in retrospect uh-huh I probably would have gotten <laughs> done a lot better in high school but um but yeah no I went to I actually ended up just working for like a year 
and then going to community college, Langara in Vancouver. And then just for the first time in my life, getting really into studying and just being so excited about learning and getting to know my teachers and really caring and um, <clears throat> then transferring to UBC, joining a sorority, like doing all of the things that I don't think anybody would have seen for me because I was like, what's this? What is life? I don't care. My parents were like, you're like, they're eventually like, you're just on your own. <laughs> and, uh, and I had to figure it out for myself, but I figured out, I figured that out by working um, like as a busser at UBC golf club, university of British Columbia golf club. And just being like, I have to have something better than this. I have to. And um, which is funny. Cause then I went to go work in restaurants <laughs> and I was like this can't be it <laughs> media so um yeah so I had to just do it for myself so yeah I was in my I, I graduated well I stalled graduating a little bit dabbled here and there but I, I was 24 when I started cooking school okay yeah mm-hmm. that was one year <clears throat> cooking school yeah it was it was one year yes and really intense like I don't think it is what anybody imagines it to be it is you know you're at school at 6 a.m and you're you have a five-hour class and then you have a one-hour break and then you have another five-hour class and you're on your feet Mm -hmm. and you are being critiqued by a chef and you are just you know you're a laborer that's it and when people call themselves chefs like even in their IG profiles. They're like, chef, I'm like, no, 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 no. This is a profession that people do, you know, that would just be like calling myself, I don't know, an accountant, like, oh, you know, an accountant versus, I'm like, no, people train for this. People work their asses off to be called this, to earn it, to earn the respect, you know, just like you do with any other profession. So, um, so yeah, that was a little bit of a learning curve when you're, you're 24 and you're like, I'm going to be on the food network and cook. And then a chef is literally yelling down your back. <laughs> That's not everyone's experience in cooking school. I think in Le Cordon Bleu or wherever you pay $100,000 to go to a year, they don't do that. But at the Art Institute in Vancouver, yeah, they did that. <laughs> they were mad at you all the time. <laughs> it's, all the time. It, it is a pretty high, uh, yeah, it is a pretty high stress experience. But you learn a lot yeah. of like in the... I mean, you kind of pointed out maybe not so much on the applicate, like the practical application side, but just being under stress and having to perform and being on your feet and early mornings, work ethic, all that. You learn the, you learn the basics and everything else, and you just learn how to function so that when you actually get into a kitchen, you know what's expected of you and that you don't, you know, when somebody speaks very sternly to you, you're not like, excuse me. You're just like, yes, chef. And then, um, yeah, it, it, it was, I, I can't believe that I was in cooking school. It's so odd, but it was just the, one of the best things I could have ever done. And I'm so glad that I listened to my gut and explored that uh, because it, even if it's something <clears throat> that I didn't build a career on, I feel like it's just such a great opportunity to have like an, an opportunity to work with food and a respect for food because being able to, to create something that you're really proud of or just just learn learning how to use your hands or ingredients or you just feel so much more in touch with food and where it comes from. So 
that was my experience, not speaking for everybody, but that was definitely my experience there. Yeah. And prior to going into that, were you good at cooking? Like, was that something that you kind of had like a knack for, or was that something no. you had to build on? No, I look back and I'm like, oh my God, I cannot. And this isn't me being hard on myself. This is me. Oh my God. I just like the, my recipes that I created. I just can't even imagine. I, I did this thing and I'm going to tell you it now. And I, and then we can never speak about it again. I did this thing called like hot salad. Where I took great already. I mean, no, I took, I can't even, I took, well, you can't leave it hanging. So hot salad. I can't, I can't. It took, um, jolly green giant frozen vegetables. (laughs) Got them hot tossed them with salad dressing and then tossed it with lettuce and it was hot salad i mean you know a for creativity (laughs) (laughs) maybe yeah i can't i think i was even making um like instant mashed potatoes which no shame but yeah i was like i'm gonna work with food for my life and then i was like oh my god hot salad yeah yeah just that was that was my recipe I I honestly if I told my if I reminded my husband of it now he'd probably be like <laughs> like do a full body shiver <laughs> remember those days that I did cinnamon prawns oh yeah that sounds uh yeah that's a bit of a lateral move there seems like yeah so bad. um so yeah that that's what I did not have a knack for it at all. I mean, I make really good, made really good toast, but that's about it. Boil water. You always got to kind of, kind of burn it. Yeah. (laughs) And that's about it. So yeah, that, that was, that was it. Um, I just, and I honestly feel like I'm still insecure about my cooking because I always seem to mess something up, but um, yeah. I always feel, I always have this imposter syndrome every time I go on a show or something because I'll have like recipe development and not for hot salad, which is, (laughs) which is like bottled dressing, frozen veg, and like a head of lettuce. Um, But actual recipe development is a whole industry based on it. And you need to count, you know, have a stopwatch every minute. um, So that when that gets printed in a magazine, if someone goes and does it exactly how you state it's done, they will get the exact same or the intended result. They're going to get what is in the photo in that magazine. Um, So recipe development is like, it's its own thing. So, but, so when I finally go on camera uh, to do a cooking segment, now that we're in lockdown, I do a lot of um, from my house. So usually when you go on set and you go to, uh, to do an appearance, like on a daytime show or something like that, they have like a food stylist, they have producers. So you do your whole job of developing your recipe and then you just kind of show up, show up, dress nicely. They do your hair, you do, they do your makeup and then you go on and everything's all there. They decide kind of, you know, what steps you skip or whatnot. And then you end up just doing it for, you know, three, four, five minutes, and then you leave. But at home, 
not only do you have to recipe develop, and I'm talking like cooking something three times, screwing it up a bunch of times too, but you also have to like set the stage for the whole segment to take place. So my husband's standing in a corner when we're going live <laughs> with my iPhone, uh, you know, and I'm like, and then you do this and then you do this and then you do this. And, you know, he's following me the whole time. Meanwhile, I'm leaving behind um, like, you know, flipped over bowls and everything. And the way he's following me, you know, it's not showing that he's progressing along with me. So all that stuff is left behind. And when that iPhone finally gets turned off and the segment is over and it's done live. So we're zooming right from my, right from my kitchen to, you know, three, 300,000 people. Um, the kitchen is so, the way it looks. There's like a mini fire happening over here. There's steam over there. There's maybe there's blood. I don't know. Like there's, there's spilt milk. And then also you've like done a whole bunch of work to lead up to you getting to this recipe in the first place. And I get, I, every time I get off, camera I'm like I'm such a fraud <laughs> I feel like such a fraud I'm like it's just this easy and then you're like oh when the camera turns off and you see literally it looks like you know the apocalypse in your kitchen and you also know the story that happened beforehand so it's not like this neat and tidy little thing that you see and which is like the fun part of when you go to a big studio like CTV's your morning or the Marilyn Dennis show or Stephen and Chris on CBC where you actually go and everything's all neat and tidy and you're done up and you're like, yeah, that's why I did this. Woohoo. Isn't this exciting? Isn't it fun? You're just like, oh, it's just <laughs> COVID. Like, I love the fact that, that I can do stuff for my house during COVID. I don't have to travel as much, et cetera. But then you also miss that piece that is like the little bit of glamour, <laughs> the little bit of glamour that comes with like the chaos that is recipe testing and development and all the behind, behind the scenes stuff that you see for food media. You get that little bit of like something shiny and new and clean and it's so fun. And then, you know, at home, it's just like the exact opposite. Then you got to clean the whole thing up and you're on your hands and knees scrubbing. And it's just like, that's what it's like. Like it's really messy. <laughs> And it, and it's a lot of work. So, um, so yeah, anywho, recipe development is an industry within itself and, um, the payoff can be big. You can get a lot of sponsors, you can get TV spots, you know, you can appear in major publications. And then at the same time, it's so much behind the scenes, like grunt work that, ugh. Yeah. So when I was really trying to figure out what I was doing with my life and, and the industry that I actually wanted to contribute to, I was like, after a segment, um, after developing another recipe, I was like, is this it? Like, is this it? Am I really going to be putting out like grease fires in my kitchen? And then like, for the rest of my life, that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, and yeah, I was like, I got to take a step back. I got to look at what I'm doing and just like, get my shit straight because if I'm chasing this what's wrong with me <laughs> that's what happened one of the things that I think's funny um with the podcast too is because I gotta listen and or watch the stuff which is you know when you're not horrifying you yeah <laughs> <laughs> horrifying <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and it's the thing, because you, you really do have to, I mean, and everybody's kind of been that where like you hear playback of yourself and you go, oh my God, do I sound like that? Like, oh, is it terrible? Anything. 
And it's so not for, until like one year later that you're like, yeah, no, that was fine. Yeah, no, true, though, true. Where you can be objective. Yeah, and for you being on uh, camera, Ooh. you know how, um, well, actually we can go down, well, you sound like you have something to say, so I'll, I'll just pass it over to you. <laughs> I, I made a deal with myself that I'm not allowed to watch anything till two or three days later. Good rule. It was horrible when I first started on pre-recorded, fantastic. They would edit the crap out of it. I was like, whoa, look at me. And then my first live national appearance happened. <laughs> Not only did I get trolled <laughs> for my voice because I was so, it was so high. Uh, when I get nervous, it gets really, really high because um, I can't breathe. <laughs> um, I'm basically squealing. But yeah, you're just in that moment where you're so self-critical that um, nothing good can come of it. And you're not going to learn anything by beating yourself up. And I just noticed that I was in that cycle and it was really detrimental to my mental health, to my confidence. Um, now I'm more at like, it happened, it's there, whatever. People usually just think, and I, you and I were talking about this, how people say to you, how do you do your podcast? Like, how do you just go talk to people like that? You know, but if, and that's just what you do, you just go do it and then it's done and you can't, <laughs> what are you going to do after? Right. So that's my philosophy now, but it, um, going on live television and especially with, I mean, you can answer questions really easily and it can be from a very genuine place but when you're working with food things go wrong really quickly I've done product demos you know for big giveaways we we're doing for an audience and you know the whipped cream didn't come out because they didn't shake it it, it was like <laughs> 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 kind of like you know and just you know and then the brands are mad at you and like it just kind of spirals out and um I just kind of came to the point where I was like just don't because it's not even it's not good for you so um overanalyzing something afterwards I call it like the hangover you know when you're hungover and you've done something stupid and you just lie there the next day thinking about how stupid you are <laughs> no never it's, it's me it's um who me it's the hangover and you've had this spike and it's the come down and then your mind just goes wild. So um, that's my experience with it. It was really bad. I mean, to the point where like I used to, my mom used to watch things. I mean, I was in my thirties. My mom used to watch things and she'd be like, you could have done this differently. And I'm like, thanks late blooming stage mom. Like seriously. And then I would like lie there all day and think about it. And just, you know, I would just be so, I guess, I would just be so willing to let people's opinions take me someplace, which is why part of the reason why I really needed to back away too, because I was fighting so hard to keep afloat of this thing that made me feel very, very insecure, but it wasn't necessarily that thing that made me feel insecure. It was the way that I was approaching it. You know, you don't have to look at anything the same way somebody else does, but you know, if your approach is affecting you, then you might need to change it so it benefits you. So the objectiveness I find is such a gift. Yeah, especially right after, like, especially if you go through right, oh God, never. 
you need some, but you got to go through it to learn. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And when you approach the, um, so you did the one live, how do I want to ask this? So you have your live show. How experienced were you until the live show? Because, you know, live is different. It's a different animal, right? And you kind of pointed that out, but were were Mm -hmm. you, did you feel pretty good kind of going into that or what was sort of how that all go down? No. Oh my God. So the first time I ever did a live television experience was appearance was, uh, was how long ago was it? Oh God. It was in 2013. So before that I worked on all pre-recorded shows. So I was behind the scenes for a bunch of them. Um, I had done a ton of commercials, not a ton, a couple. Let's get real here. I'm <laughs> not an actor but they'd be like, you get in. And I'd be like, okay. And I was on set anyways. Um, I had done pre-recorded like local stuff, pre-recorded national stuff. So you're nervous heading up to it, but they do their thing. And if you suck, they cut it out. And if you don't, you're in whatever. So I had had a ton of experience doing before my first live national television cooking demonstration, I'd had a ton of experience doing pre-recorded stuff. But the live stuff, oh my God, it was, it was horrifying. It, it, I, I remember the host, Marilyn Dennis grabbed my hand. I was in this cooking competition on her show and it lasted, we pre-recorded for a week to get up to the finals. And then I was in the finals. So then it was another week of showing the pre-recorded stuff. And then if we had won certain competitions, we would win a live segment. And I remember she grabbed my hand on the first the first challenge that I won and walked me over and it was just the sweat on my hand. I, it was so hot and so wet. <laughs> and I was like, sorry, so sorry. And, uh, it, and anything that went through my mind was just, what if I swear? What if I do this? Uh, you know, what if I drop something? What if I don't say something right? And because I had written before. So when I was producing for CBC, we do these things, um, for what I was doing was called factual entertainment. So even though it was pre-recorded and somewhat scripted, it's based on something that you use in real life. So it's factual. Uh, so we, or something that's that, you know, you, you ha- need facts in order to carry out. So when I would write these rundowns, as they're called for a cooking show, I would put in the recipe in one column, the actions that the host would take in another, you know, walks over to the oven uh, removes cookie tray and then what she would say in another column so they would all be you know complimentary and they would all be happening at the same time and so I would write extra stuff in there I would say oh god even though even when she was putting like oh I don't know I don't know. She'd be putting like cayenne pepper on something. And I would write like a cute little thing, like just a little bit of extra blush on there or something like that. Right. But I would write like 10 facts for cayenne pepper. And I was like, well, she can choose whatever she wants from there. But I did that. So that was something that I would hand to her and she would take overnight and read and then would come in the next day and film. And she would say, she'd choose what she wanted out of those 10 facts, do the action I prescribed and do the part of the recipe I prescribed. And but however, with me, I was, I did the exact same thing, but I was like on live television, but I'm going to say all of the things. 
So <laughs> I was like, so all I'm going to do is just put the sweet potatoes in the pan and then the sweet potatoes in the pan and I'm going to boil in the pan. The sweet potatoes are full of like caffeine and And I mean, I lost my shit. <laughs> I, it was crazy. I, I mean, I looked so good. I remember being like, if I'm going to nail anything, it's my look. And I looked, <laughs> every, I remember I was like doing live segments every day because I won every, <laughs> every challenge. But, um, but, but the, the, the talking was just so, it was, there was just so much of it. I couldn't filter what came out of my mouth. I was like, no, I know what I'm doing. I've produced before. I know how to produce segments. I can deliver them. And then when I was delivering them, I just didn't know how to breathe. And um, it was terrifying. I was like, no, the audience needs to know all of these things. And they didn't, they, the only thing they need to know is like, how does it taste? Does it smell good? And like, you know, what is this good for? This is great for an after school snack, or if you're on the run or da, da, da. you just wrap it in tin foil and eat it while you're in your car. Like, that's what they need to know. They do not need to know, you know, the, the history of yams, which is what I was trying to give them. So I don't, you know what, I got trolled and rightfully so. <laughs> her high voice and oh my god does she talk a lot and I was like yeah but you really need to know why yams are orange like you need to know this and people were always like oh my god oh my god will she ever calm down it's funny with and that, though, because it's like with um you know it, it, that comes from experience too like you got to know your audience and so like the information that you're trying to articulate is actually useful but not in that setting no, right? But that, you know, that's what it is. Like the intent. For historians. You know, the application. For, for food historians. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, you really got to know your audience. And I remember when I was producing for CBC and writing those rundowns, I would they'd always be like, oh my God, why is your show like 10 pages long? And I was like, because we need to know these things. But literally the host probably used 25% of what I wrote at best. So it really just was an element of like editing yourself, but also being able to picture something. And I don't think I've ever been able, now I'm really good at being able to picture what something will look like and the steps I need to take in order to get from A to Z really quickly for like a segment. But back then you were still learning. So you're just such an eager beaver and just like, I'm just going to, you know, write this other thing about cayenne pepper and da, 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 and what exactly it is and the molecular composition of it and da, 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 da. And it's like, no, when you're watching a show at CBS on CBC at 3 p.m., you got kids, they're screaming. You want to know, you want to know how the hell you're going to make the best chicken fingers ever and then shut the hell up. <laughs> and that's it. So it really was about, as you said, knowing your audience. And I definitely was just so like the integrity, you know, like in my head, I was like, the integrity of this recipe comes down to the type of cayenne you use. And it was like, no, this woman or man or mother or father doesn't even own it. <laughs> and we're like, this cayenne? Oh yeah, it's from 10 years ago. You want me to still use it? Fine, it has no flavor, but I'm doing it for you because you said something about blush on zucchini 
So that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's you learn as you go. As you're learning, like with this podcast, right? Like you just oh, yeah. learn as you go. But that's the best way because it's so embarrassing at first, but at least you started the process. Well, a lot of people don't even do that. And that's what it is. Like there's a lot of, um, I can't remember that there's a term for it. It's not like uh, (laughs) performance anxiety. That's something else, but um, (laughs) it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, I saw you as a baby. It's not one of those, you know, it's one of those terms, which is like, you can come up with so many reasons to not do something, but just, you know, just get in there. And once you start, you know, just kind of give yourself enough of a break to figure it out, you know, cause that's kind of like what you pointed out, which is like that really um, being really hypercritical and it's because it's yourself. What I found is really interesting is the things that you will notice about your own performance, people don't notice. You know, people oh, really don't notice. They, they might notice other things, but it's like, oh, I was, I was super nervous, like during like that five minute part there. And it's like, someone also watching me like, hey, you look fine. What are you talking about? You know, so it's yeah. it, that, that separation, right? That objectivity, you know, it, yeah. Well, because you can be like, oh my God, did you see my hand shaking? I remember the last segment I did, I have no idea why my hand was like, and it was just a month ago. (laughs) And on camera, you couldn't see it at all. But then if you start asking people about it too, what do you think? They'll they'll be like, oh, that was great. But you know, the recipe kind of looked like cat food. And you're like, well, but I, I was concerned about my voice. And now I'm concerned about it looking, my recipe looking like cat food too. So it's like, fuck it. Who cares if you do it and you're satisfied with it? And, and that's the thing you come, if you've made the mistakes I've made where you've relied on other people's, you know, approval to, to want to make yourself feel good, but how you feel good is comes from your inner satisfaction of being able to complete something that you've worked very hard on. You know, I stopped looking for other people's approval very early on because I, I was like, wow, I'm a, I'm a woman, I'm bubbly, I'm on camera and I'm cooking and people are like, what the hell? Like, that's the exact same thing that I used to do when I saw women on television cooking. I used to be like, what are they doing? Da, 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 da. And I was like, oh, I'm putting myself in like this, in this domestic sphere. I'm, you know, telling people how to do this with their life. I'm saying, oh my gosh, it's so easy. Can't you even believe it? Da, da, da. And I'm like, well, of course people are going to be like, you idiot. I don't have time to do that. But I'm like, you know what? Then that's okay. It doesn't matter what anybody else says, as long as you are satisfied with the way that you, the way that you were able to conduct yourself. I always think like, would my parents be proud? You know, my dad is, he, my dad, you know, has worked bottom to the top, always fair, never told a lie, nothing, none of those things. And I always think back, would he be proud and I'm like did I show up did I try was I honest was I kind to people yeah then none of none of the rest matters because it's all intricacies that like you might attribute a meaning to but somebody else might be like what the hell are you talking about but then they've got another thing where they saw you making something that looked like cat food this is a real story it happened um (laughs) which is why I keep on bringing it up like but your recipe that tuna recipe really looks like cat food and I'm just like oh fuck you like what why (laughs) 
uh-oh, shouldn't have asked. And um, you just have to be comfortable. And eventually somebody can say something to you and it's literally just going to bounce right off of you. But you have to realize that putting yourself out there is going to give you other people's opinions, but that's just it. It's just people's opinions. It, and there's nothing more than that. And if I can say that for something as flippant as like food, <laughs> I think, and food media and like being on a daytime show, then we can apply it to anything, honestly, because it, it, it's, everyone is entitled to it, but you don't necessarily have to listen to it. So yeah. Be, but it sucks at first <laughs> oh, well and, and it's a learning curve right because mm -hmm. the one thing i've found too is you can be 100 percent. well you know you can never really be perfect but perfect enough right you can put on the most perfect performance and this is a the way i always look at it the easiest example is sports because it's mm -hmm. it's really it's pretty cut and dry with a lot of sports which is like mm -hmm you know, number of passing yards, completion percent, you know, for football, right? Whatever it may be, still will be criticized by somebody. doesn't matter. doesn't matter how- I, it, It's unbelievable. These, these people that are in the bleachers and they're like, I yeah. can't believe you didn't do this and do that and do that. That's my thing though with professional sports though. I honestly, it makes me, as much as I do enjoy them, especially hockey growing up, especially with the Canucks, um in vancouver and when they would you know once in a while like once every 10 years make it to a playoffs game or something <laughs> yeah um and people would be like i can't believe you did this and i can't believe you did that and i was like oh my god you're acting like as if it's like a cockfight <laughs> that if like you're throwing money at a rooster and they're not doing something and yeah it just to me that whole performance thing and being able to to really um like what would you do in that position oh wait you wouldn't do anything in that position because you're sitting here in a seat not doing shit so <laughs> and that's what you have to like attribute it to just like just people being critical because they have nothing else to do you know like you see always like these beer glugging men with like a rock hard beer belly and they're like get out there i'm like you get out there yeah that armchair quarterback right that's, that's what exactly it. yeah. it's like that's exactly it you know, sit on your it ass. me and, off. You know, no, that's exactly it. And those are the kinds of people that, that, you know, I, that you just need to not listen to. Just don't listen to anybody. Honestly, if you want solid advice, go ask somebody genuinely, but the rest of it, just, you know, constructive criticism, I call it. You really, you want that. You can learn from it. You can take it or you can leave it, but you have to be at a place where you're ready <laughs> you're ready <laughs> because sometimes you're like too delicate like once you've been trolled on Facebook and like <laughs> all of those things and then you know you've received emails I remember I had a cooking column and, and um that launched in the Vancouver Sun I had it for two years and uh I'll never forget receiving emails from the most random people and this wasn't because I was linked to online they would receive the newspaper look at my very odd last name, which is T-Y-M-K-I-W, receive it, go to a computer, punch in my name, see my website, go to contact, and then write me an email that was like, your story's disgusting. I was like, I told, what? <laughs> I just wrote a story about my sisters and I creeping downstairs, you know, 
early on Christmas morning while my dad was making pancakes. I have no idea what you're talking about, but it was just like, you know, now I would just delete it. I mean, I'd be very tempted to do something else. What's that going to do? But now I would just delete it. But back then I'd be like, I can't, I was like, they find me wherever I go. (laughs) It wasn't even like on Marilyn Dennis where they'd be like, and Joanna, you cooked this today. And they posted on their Facebook page and people could be like, oh, so annoying. (laughs) They were like, they would like actually go from different medium (laughs) to find me. To say say bad things. Yeah. But, um, but I don't know. You just, it is, it just is what it is. I understand though also that my audience for certain things was a bit of the, they were a bit critical and pessimistic. And then when I started exploring other options and like really finding my community, whether it's in food media or in activism, like in Stephen and Chris, when I went to Stephen and Chris um, on CBC, they were, you know, a gay married couple. Uh, their audience was just a little bit more fun. They you know, there was always music playing, they were dancing, it was just fun. I never, I only got like really positive things and sometimes questions about a recipe or whatnot. Um, but when I also started finding like my activism community, like the one that really suited me, I was just completely embraced. And um, I would say for the most part, those experiences really help you to pivot. And I remember hearing somebody talking about how they were how they were rejected by their activism community because of something that they brought up. And I was like, that's because they're not your people. Like you'll find your people. You don't have to perform like a dancing monkey or bear because you want them to like you. It means they're not your people. So like it provides you a process of elimination in order to find where you're going to find where you thrive you know there's one plot of land and oh you can't plant your seed there so maybe there's this other one this other one and then you will find it so it does it does help you in the end um I've been able to find such enriching beautiful relationships because of the stuff that I was shown very early on you know and I've also been able to say I'm not going to deal with this or this or that so you starting a podcast when, when you're this young is actually really good because you're going to be able to establish boundaries very quickly by, by putting yourself out there. You know, people are scared to do it, but by learning through that experience, you're going to be able to put down boundaries or for others or even for yourself to say, I don't treat me that way. Don't speak to me that way. Or, you know what, I'll do this, but I won't do that. Like it's, it's very, very helpful. So, I mean, if I could have done what I've done at your age, I think that <laughs> by the time I got to my age, I would just be, I'd be like sitting oh. happy, but I still feel like I'm on this roller coaster of learning. Um, but yeah, that's that one thing I said to this girl who was um, in this group who was feeling very rejected by her activism community. I was like, no, it's because they're not your people. So so it's a good thing to learn. Rejection's really good, <laughs> really good. Well, you have to take, you have to learn, which is, you know, it doesn't, you know, personality differences are pretty apparent when it comes to this topic. But generally speaking, once you get used to, you got to learn to take the emotion out of, particularly the negative stuff, like the the kind of shit that you get. 
you got to take the emotion out of that. Cause you know what, there, there are cases where someone is actually saying something that you could use, but exactly. they get wrapped up in such an asshole way that it it's hurtful. And you know, that's, a yeah. thing. but being it's able to kinda take that separately and yeah. you know, just kind of, you know, which is why the, like, what, like looking at something that you've done after or reading the feedback on it after you've kind of come out of the cocoon of it, like after this, you, you know, I, I know that I always get high off human interaction. Right. So I'm always really excited. And then if something, you know, something grenades that I'm like, and I like completely shut down and it ruins everything. And then I spend the whole night ruminating about it or something. But if you actually look at it, maybe take it in a week later, you know, it might still sting, but objectively you can be like, yeah, maybe I actually could have changed that. Or maybe, you know what, they have a point. Or maybe if it's just like something that you know that is just really frivolous or not you not useful, then you can dismiss it as well. And just kind of get it out of your life, you know? So like, just, just you're like, I can dispose of this one. I can use this. And then this I can consider right yeah exactly and i know it's kind of a little bit off of what we're talking about but let me kind of with your um you mentioned active activism a bit mm -hmm. Is that relating to uh veganism so um food for me so when i step back from doing everything i was doing in my career um and i mean i was doing everything <laughs> anything i'd ever dreamed of i was doing and when I stepped back, I was like, I need to figure out what I'm really going to do with this, this medium of food media. And um, I just really started researching the implications of our food habits and practices on the planet, on people, on animals. Um, I'd always throw in a cute, like, if you can get your hands on some certified humane meat, you know, like, no. <laughs> For me, as someone who I am now, um, it was just learning like what it is. Okay, so I think I'm going to rephrase this. <laughs> I always think if you're trying to find a way of how to get involved in something or find like a bigger meaning in life or a bigger meaning of something that, that you want to do, what gets your back up? Like what, when you see something in the news or you read something in a magazine or the newspaper or whatever, see it even online, like what gets your back up? And for me, it was always, um, it was always food related, obviously, because that's what I'm interested in. It was always animal related, or it was like socially related in terms of like food being, um, food discrepancies between like social classes. Um, so I was able to find my my calling related to to I would say the discrepancies in society related to food um so in terms of veganism I don't think everybody can be a vegan I think that there can be a lot of um harmful rhetoric around that as well not everybody can choose what they eat you know, if we have this, if you eat meat, you're a bad person. Um, there's people that go to food banks that, that don't have a choice on what they eat. You know, um, there's, there's, there's so much 
there's so many, but there's, that also goes for like lifestyle advertising too, right? People can be like, oh, if you don't get this new Gwyneth Paltrow cleanse, you're a piece of shit. You know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, what? It's true. What? Or if you don't wear this, you know, you don't wear this coat, you're, 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 you're a loser. It's, it's very, it's very, it can be very superficial. But my thing is, and this is my saying, and it's been for a few years now, if you have any flexibility in the food that you buy or consume, because food is something we buy and consume every single day, something as simple as a latte or whatever, um, you have the responsibility to make better choices. And that, and that's where I come from. If you are choosing this, but you have the opportunity to choose this, and I inform you that this is a better decision for a multitude of reasons, please use that and make an informed decision. And because food is such, I mean, we consume it every day. Like I could buy a sweater and wear it for 10 years. I can't buy a bagel and eat it for 10 years, <laughs> right? it food is something that we have to continually rely on we have to continually keep tapping resources for it my activism isn't necessarily for veganism it's for informed decision making for food because it food is such a huge contributor especially irresponsibly sourced food to to um to climate change. I mean, in India right now, we're seeing all these abuses happening with farmers. Um, we see so many discrepancies happening, especially in, in Canada. In Canada, I don't know if you know, but we have the, um, uh, the, the, I forget the exact name of it, but it's the Summer Farmers Program or the Foreign Workers Program. And what happens is that we allow, we allow people in for summer in order to harvest all of the crops that we have, um, our huge crops from like blueberries, strawberries to chickpeas, to what, whatever you want. Um, and, you know, we even see with them the way that they're treated, the way that uh, there's huge, there's, there's huge injustices, even with COVID happening, there were, you know, they were made to bunk like six people in a room uh, they're, you know, and ride side by side on a bus with no masks and to, to, to get to their farm every day. It was just, it was a really, it was a really, really sad reality of even what happens in Canada in our farming community. So um, just become educated. I feel like as a consumer, we have so much power. Our money is the one currency that corporations care about. It's the one thing they care about. They don't give a shit about you or your family or anything you do with their stupid product. They, they might be like, you can do this for family dinners. It's just marketing, right? No matter where you go, it's just marketing. But if you choose where to put your money, if you can put it in a startup or you can put it in a small local business or you can, the way that that, can mobilize a movement is incredible because it's a resource as well. So you can take your resource that you have as a consumer and pump it into an industry or a factory or a company or a startup or whatever that you agree with. So that's where my 
that's where my activism lies in, in informing people of that, because I absolutely understand that not everybody can be vegan, but I also understand that there are people that out there raising like heritage pork, like they were their own kids, you know? And I, I actually, um, there's this book that I read uh, before I was becoming vegan and it was, it's called um, Eating Animals. And it's a really fantastic book. If anybody's considering going plant-based, I would absolutely recommend this. And what he does is he goes through all, he's a journalist. So he goes there very, he goes there very um, from like, I'm going to get everybody's point of view. And he talks about people that have gone, gone, he talks to people that have written passages in the book that have gone in and rescued turkeys from these commercial turkey farms. But he also has these huge passages by these turkey farmers who adore their turkeys and who literally are so upset every Thanksgiving when they leave. And he's like, you know, I pay, I pay men twice as much to do the job in half the time because I know that those turkeys are going to arrive at that factory and they're not going to be in pain and they're not going to be scared and they're not going to be injured. And, you know, they're not going to know what's happened to them. It's going to be over like that because if I don't do that, what is the alternative? And the alternative is a horrifying, abusive, exploitative meat industry, right? So, and that's where I lie. I don't consume animal products because 99.9% .9 of the animal products we consume come from horrifying circumstances, but there are that small percentage that are doing it in a way that is so respectful and so, um, and, and, you know, animal, people have been eating animals since the dawn of time. It's just the way that we eat animals now that I disagree with. So, so that is my activism, just education. Well, you'll get a kick out of this, which is, um, well, first thing um, that when you're talking about the, the summer um, farm, the summer workers program, I saw, uh, I actually had no memory of it until what was like a forgotten memory till you just said it. And I remember there was actually a vice piece on it four years ago, maybe something I like love vice. Been, been several years now. And um, cause I, I watched, like I, I, do watch Bill Maher's show pretty frequently, mm -hmm. I'd say. And mm -hmm. so I'm pretty aware of like the issues in California. Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are, because that's pretty newsworthy, like as far as, you know, and they're mostly Mexican or from Latin countries and the condition right. or, and, you know, there's immigration issue, you know, the whole thing. And it's, it's bad. Like it's, it's bad. It's it can be very, crazy. very, if done right, it can be great, but it yes. can be very, very, very exploitative. And these people need this money so badly. Mm -hmm. So what are they going to do? And they take advantage, you know, and they take advantage. And what, of course. Was, not, not the people, but the, the corporate, you know, the yeah. yeah. Just to <laughs> clarify that. But, um, and this vice piece was on, it was about Ontario. And it yeah. was pretty much all the problems that are in California the, it, when it comes to the, the workers and all that pretty much happening in Ontario. And that to me was like, well, cause I had no idea until I saw it. And I was like, God, in Canada, like we do this shit too. Like, come on, yeah. you know, like this is, we're supposed to be I better, know. you know, <laughs> right. It's like, well, yeah. I, I, 
So this is what I found out about Ontario is that Ontario is so big. <laughs> I mean, it's it so huge. I mean, to get to, from where I live in Ottawa right now, I can drive to Toronto. I'm there in four and a half hours if I don't stop. That's fine. I'm in Montreal in two hours. Great. I'm near some great hubs. Love it. But when you start going out west <laughs> or up north, <laughs> I mean, it's just very, very big. Vast. Yeah. Huge. And you start noticing that there are these communities that are very, very, very isolated. And that every image that you have of like um, a, a town in, you know, in the Southwest of America where people like say things that you shouldn't say and do things you shouldn't say and are like gay marriage, like they exist in Canada. And it is such a hard reality. You're like, no, we're not like this. We're Canadian. And you're like, oh, wait, this is what happens when you have farmland and no one else around. <laughs> it exists. And um, not saying that that is the only equation, but when you when you when there's a lot of just emphasis on, I would say the doing and not the expanding, mentally, educationally, um, it that's what happens, and and you see it just kind of pass from generation to generation with not a lot of um, with with not with no interception. And that's what happens that you have these older, maybe not older generations, but these, but, you know, certain families or towns or whatever raised with, with perspectives that are not challenged because they don't need to be. And when you bring in an immigrant working temporarily that desperately needs this money, do you think they're going to do anything about it? No, they're going to sit down and shut up and do whatever they need to do. And it's not until people actually go in there and expose what's happening um, to until it actually gets seen. Um, you know, what's really interesting though. There's this new, so it was just passed in Ontario and then it's also just been uh, tabled for Manitoba, but there's this law called the, it's this bill, it's called the egg gag law, law. And it's basically anybody that goes into a farming facility of any sort, it could be animal, it, often animal, right? To expose like animal abuses and stuff like that. Um, anywhere, if they go under pretenses that are false, if they interfere with animals that are in transport even by giving them water which is what a lot of activists do Joaquin Phoenix actually does that dream, dream man um <laughs> that that they will be charged um criminally and they just passed it last year in Ontario and they're passing it right now in Manitoba and what it does is it prevents journalists or activists because the public doesn't know what the public doesn't know Unless you bring them this information, they have no idea what's happening. And why would they, right? Because like, they're not going to go do it on their own. They got enough stuff to do. Um, but by being able to expose these, these horrible conditions or inhumane actions, people are able to know, and then they're able to either call for change or direct their money elsewhere. Um, the whole power of being a consumer element in it too. 
Um, so the, a lot of animal activists have gone into places under false pretenses, but I've never actually, I wonder if this applies to anywhere that does not involve animals. Like, can we do it? What if we did it from a human rights perspective? You know, I've gone undercover for this, um, for this summer farmers program. Am I going to be charged as well? Or does it just apply to, to, to elements and where there are animals involved? I have no idea. That actually brings up a really good point. I'm going to research that because, um, you know, imagine being like, eh, you just exposed a huge human rights issue. Egg gag law, you're going to jail. <laughs> well, I'm going to take a look at that law too. It sounds pretty interesting, actually. I got to use yeah. knowledge for something, right? So <laughs> Yeah, and there's totally, um, it's really cool, actually. Like when you kind of go down the, the rabbit hole of activism and you see how much people are able to actually mobilize others, it, it's a fantastic world to be a part of. And you don't have to be an activist that is, you know, on a soapbox every day with like a billboard on you. Like you don't have to be that person, but you can be that person that talks to your friends. You can be that person that shares stuff online that I, and not only performative, but actually does stuff as well. And like donates, actually takes actions and doesn't, you know, the whole thing about activism is you don't need to necessarily talk about it. Like, oh, this is what I did. You can say, you can do what you did, like whether it be like, you know, bringing a person of color um, to a position that they should have been given and not bragging about it after, or, you know, giving a woman an opportunity that maybe a man would have, might've gotten. It's like, it's doing it that way as well. You know, you don't necessarily have to have to like scream it from the rooftops. It, de it depends on like, if it's actually going to benefit the public or if it's going to benefit you. So that's something to think about as well. I'm learning a lot still, so. Well, you know, it's funny, like when you, were you saying that I had a conversation like earlier in the week and anyway, she, she's in the, she's in the UK. So she, she's at university still. So from mm -hmm. uh, same university I went to and uh, they had a um, uh, kind of like a, I actually don't even really know if it was like a rally or it's kind of something like that with um because it's been a fair bit of uh, violence against women kind of that's been very um newsworthy for, um, it, it, oh like in the in, in, in the right uk yeah, yeah there was that so, there was that girl that was murdered on her walk home yeah it's yeah terrible so you know and the next nice thing i have good friends so we talk about lots of interesting stuff and and mm -hmm. one of the things that we discussed was exactly what you just said which is i don't really have the personality for and, and not that there's anything wrong I mean the soapbox thing kind of gets a you know it's a negative connotation to that but you know the premise being you know you're kind of a little more vocal or you'll go to your social media and, and that's great whatever no problems there not my thing I just just not in me to do but yeah. what I said to her was there's more than one ways to skin a cat which is yeah. you know Good, good analogy for this purpose. Which is, uh, Excuse you know, that, me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, what? But the point being is, my approach is, and with uh, on the MCDP seven episode, I think it's one or two ago from this one with Vincent, um, we talked heavily about this, which is, the, and that was through the lens of the Marines, but the lesson applies everywhere, which is, you lead always. You're always in a leadership position. When you interact with people, you're in a leadership position and they are too. 
gets a little different than when you can get into like formal leadership roles, right? That's separate. But generally speaking, people are always looking at you and you're always looking to others, which wow. means that you're a leader. And if that's the case, people are going to pay attention to what you're doing. So right. my approach is, you know, I'm just going to do what I do, you know, and okay, maybe I'll tell you about it. Maybe I won't. But the point is, is that I'm doing that. And, and like how you say, you know, you can get, you can get out there and be vocal about that. That's great. But you can also just do it. You can just do yeah. it. People will notice it starts, you know, maybe it starts at home and then it's a few friends and then it's the friend who lives across the country, friend across <clears throat> the world, right? Like, you know, the, the ripple effect, I think, doesn't get acknowledged as much as it should, should. I, I really. Okay. Um, no, I mean, I agree with this so much and I, and I have this, and uh, I have, I have a story. So I, I, I talked to you earlier this week about my first experience on the app Clubhouse and how I was speaking on a panel there and how it all went down in flames. <laughs> I mean, that's there totally these, shocking that would happen. <laughs> it all went down in flames. As my friend said, it's Twitter with mics on. It all went down in flames. And there was this, this woman on there who I really like, um, but this person really, really challenged her. And this person came on there for a fight. I mean, they were a dick. You can always tell. Like, yeah. They were, I was just, and I saw her in another room actually yesterday and I was like, shut up, Sarah. <laughs> I know what you're here for, you're here for a fight. Um, but so she really challenged this, this, this woman that I know who is an author and editor in public eye all the time, right? And she was like, I met uh, the, 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 the person that was challenging her, Sarah, was like, I'm this, I'm that, what you're saying offends me, da, da, da. Why are you on here doing this? Da, 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 da. And this affected this woman for, and this woman was like, oh, but you know, I, but I do all of these things and I do all of these things and I'm here like reading facts about, about this, this, and this issue and da, 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 da. But anyways, this really affected um, the woman that, that I was on the panel with so much to the point that I even called her that day and the next day. And she was really upset. She was crying about it. And I was like, you're, a, you're an author. You have two books. You have like two degrees. You do all of these things. You know, you like, you, if you look in her like bio in her LinkedIn, it's like one million things you know I'm like check out my website you know <laughs> that hasn't been updated and updated in six weeks <laughs> um she's like on it and you just kind of come to realize that maybe she's doing it for approval as opposed to something else you know and as which is don't get me wrong I hope act activism serves the bigger purpose as a whole but sometimes people just want to have a reason to talk about something or like a reason to write about something or a reason and it's fine and all, but at the end of the day, if what you're doing is making a difference or if what you're doing is actually supporting a cause, who gives a shit what Sarah who came on here looking for a fight said? I mean, this person, I mean, they are part of one of like the biggest organizations I know that does activism and they are so affected by this one absolute dick 
that came on there. And I was like, yeah, get shit faced tonight. Bitch about them to your wife. Like do all these things that you want to do today. Eat pizza, like in your pajamas, eat pizza in your wedding dress, do whatever you want. That doesn't make sense. (laughs) And, And then like the next day you'll feel hungover and like shit. And then the next day, whatever. But like, I couldn't believe how much it affected her. And I was like, but you do this every day. For what then? Have you never have you never met somebody that said screw you as opposed to oh my god you're so great like and I remember somebody reading her bio when we were speaking on this panel and me being like oh my god does ever end like I know <laughs> I get it <laughs> you know you're amazing and then I was like oh the, the the contest that you're not absolutely right all the time or that what you're saying goes undisputed is a really big problem for you to the point where it's affected you to your core, to your psyche. And then like, what are you, has nobody ever said this to you before? <laughs> I don't know about you, but the first time I did anything real big, everybody was like, you suck. And I was like, I know, right? Oh my God. <laughs> so um, you really have to just, just look at it as in who you're serving and why you're doing it, as opposed to that one prick in the crowd because I'm pretty sure there are 20 other people there supporting her so why does that one person that came there to fight really matter and um even if there isn't somebody supporting you then as I said before you're not with your people so find them you know but she's with her people so I that was really perplexing to me I'm like whoa And you know what's funny? This kind of goes full circle as into why, like I stepped back from food media in the first place. I was like, oh, I'm waiting on your opinion of me to be able to do what I want with my life. That's not going to work for me, you know? And that's the thing about being in the public forum. And that's why you see all these people that are so insecure or that are always on social media proclaiming what they're doing, you know, next, next, next. And it's because they need that. So what's the point? The only person that you need to actually satisfy is yourself and the people around you that you love. Like if you actually very much value their opinion and you think that they're right and and live their life with dignity, then call on them. But if not, oh my God, it's just noise. So um, that was really, that was, that was a really interesting experience to say, well, well, I thought you were here as, as from an activist point of view, why is this hurting your ego so much? Yeah. And then I realized that maybe it's not, maybe it's for something else. So kind of backtracking a touch, but with the, um, talking about, and I like, you know, it's funny when it comes to activism, just in general, Mm -hmm. like no matter what it is, um, I don't want to get too much down this one, but it's kind of my, this is my segue to where I want to go. Okay. Uh, you know, progress is slow too. You know, that's mm-hmm. the thing that I think people really, everything, and I don't know if it's like, uh, to me, it seems generational just because of we want everything now, quick, fast. You know, Amazon right. doesn't get our order here in eight hours. The fuck's this? Like, it's like, yeah. oh, <laughs> settle down. Like, it's you know, so it's true. This, this immediate, yeah. you know, slow that's kind of all I want to say about that, which is just like, you know, you have to kind of recognize that things take time and effective change takes time, you know, because change management, 
yeah, you can change anything yeah. right away, but then the next administration is <laughs> going to come in and they're going to do the exact opposite. So, you know, yeah. let it play out a little bit too, but you've got to move you know, everything a little bit. Yeah. A little bit every single day and the change management of it. <laughs> you know, I understand there's a dichotomy. You can't be too passive because then nothing gets done. So, you know, yeah. But anyway, with too much of a bureaucrat. Yeah. With the, um, animal treatment. Um, yeah. What I like about what you're saying for kind of your, not really specific, but just kind of the general yeah. view, which is um, take responsibility to make the best choices that you can. To me, yeah. see how you could possibly argue with that in all honesty. Like, well, it, know, it goes, it goes for everything though. Honestly, like exactly. you, that's, that's my point is just that. Yeah. <laughs> Even just your produce that you buy. Like I used to just buy produce and be like, Oh, it doesn't matter who cares. And then I thought, Oh no, wait. And once Maybe you start making this decision <laughs> in one part of your life, you'll see you've kind of mastered it. And then it will expand to other parts of your life. That's why making decisions with food is so important because it's something you do every single day. You know, you don't go to a movie every day, so you can't support a certain director or, or boycott something. It's like, I'm not going to see that one movie. Oh, who cares? Like, <laughs> big deal. No one's going to notice. But if you do, I mean, they will. Don't get me wrong. But um, eventually. But if you start making a small decision every single day with, with the, the food products that you put in your body, you will be able to master something really, really quickly. And the, th the thought process that goes into that. So you'll master it very quickly and then be able to expand elsewhere and expand elsewhere and expand elsewhere to like everything that you are consuming or almost everything. I mean, look, like some stuff tastes really good and we want to treat ourselves once in a while. And my husband does that. He does like the 80-20 thing. He does, you know, 80% like organic plant-based local. And the rest, he's just like, fuck it. <laughs> he's ordering like Korean fried chicken <laughs> and doing this. But by changing your, your consumer habits that way, you're really able to like turn a dial to the world that you want to live in. Because the food that we eat it's grown somewhere. It's tapped. It's a resource that's been tapped. There's crop rotation. Like there's everything. There's potentially pesticides that are used. There's potentially farmers that are abused. There's like all of these things. So, you know, I might think, oh, what does this red pepper make a difference? But by buying that over and over and over again for a year, and I eat red peppers all the time. <laughs> so maybe I bought it, you know, I made that purchase 200 times in a year. Um, by taking that and putting it towards something that I bought at my local farmer's market from a farmer I've met to someone that I know or done my research on, you know, who picks their food, if they use pesticides, if they use crop rotation, you know, anything like that, that leads to like still having fertile soil so that we don't have to, you know, go knock down more woods to make room for more, um, to make room for more fields. Like there's like, you kind of understand how it's this domino effect and it's really, really interesting to see how that plays out because once you're able to do that with something as instinctive as food, you can apply it anywhere in your life. So once I was able to, to do that with food, I was able to look at the clothes I was wearing and 
uh, you know, what does this contribute to? Will it last a really long time? Uh, were animals or people harmed in this? Were the chemicals released into the, our water systems because this is a really bright color? Like, what is that? Do I do it with everything? Absolutely not. No. Do I do it with the majority of things I consume now? Yes. Um, but that took years. And it is the most fulfilling thing I have ever done. And being able to tell someone, they're like, oh, I'm considering this. And you're like, well, maybe look at this. Like it's the same price range or maybe a little bit more expensive, but it will last you two more years or it will do like, you'll, you'll start to see it fan out. And that, that is the most satisfying thing to know that the money that you've spent so long earning can actually go to somebody else that's doing it in the same honest way, as opposed to just going up the chain and filling somebody's pockets that, um, that might just only have profit on their mind. And profit's a good thing. Like we need economies, we need markets, but are there more responsible ones? Yes. Is there as much profit to be made? No, but does everybody else live as a better life? Yeah, so, so yeah. Well, that's my thought on it. And, and not to, um, you know, guilt people for, because that's the, I mean, I think you said that earlier too, which is like, the, if you're not doing exactly what we do, we're going to pretty much crucify you. And it's like, you know, I think no. about, and, and okay, do I think, or do I research where, um, you know, the food that I eat in a day comes from? No, I have to tell you right now, haven't done that. Yeah. Haven't done it but I'm doing 30 million other things. And it's like, if you were doing what I was doing, you wouldn't have the time to do that either. You mm -hmm. know, so now do I want to? Yeah, you know, but it's just a matter of, at least it's on your radar now. And, you know, but I do that with other things. I, I maybe yeah. about things uh, from a um, consumer's perspective. Of, yeah. It's, you know, I don't know. Uh, I can't really think of it easy. <laughs> But clothes too, or even like the electronics that you're using right yeah. now. Um, this is what I say to people that are interested in it. Just choose one thing. Yeah. What is the main thing you eat? Do you pour yourself three cups of coffee a day? Look at the coffee that you buy. Look at how to buy responsible coffee. End it there. And there's a lot of information on that too. Lately, it seems so, so much. That's so, like because that's it's such it's such a hugely exploitative industry, yeah. hugely. So, because um, you have it grown in these areas that you know, there's not a lot of. I mean, like in there's they can also be such hugely remote areas as well, and people are so desperate to work, and like you just have, you just have a lot of ability to take advantage of people and when you're also living in an area where it's like if I don't do this my family will die you're going to do it <laughs> right so um pick one thing and you know what once you've messed with that maybe a little bit later you're like you know what maybe this milk I'm putting in my coffee isn't the best thing once you start learning though about the repercussions, cho choosing something as simple as coffee, it, your mind will be like, oh my God. 
<laughs> what did I just stumble upon? And it is such a wealth of knowledge, but just choosing one, you know, we pay so much for coffee now any days. Our, the markup on takeout coffee is huge, you know? So if you're like, oh, I'm going to invest three more dollars in getting some beans that are uh, that are this, oh, what's the point? It's like, well, then you just going to drink your coffee at home. You're going to take it to go. And um, so, yeah, that that's my whole point on it. Pick one thing and just focus on it. And, and then Google at night when you're watching like something on television, you're flipping through your phone. Instead of flip, flipping through Instagram, just type it into Google. You're going to kind of get lost in it. And then you'll have the information you need and you're done. And that's it, right? You don't have to like go into a library and take out a million books. Like you can just, you know, just it's available. So it's so easy. So yeah. And maybe, maybe we find out information that's later disproven we tried and like that's where you're going to get your satisfaction from yeah, yeah. well and it's so funny like how like how do you have time in a day for that what do you do in a day like do an actual audit of what yes. it is that you do in a day because you know I especially well, I guess you know things are opening up and then shutting down whatever the hell's going on right? but <laughs> generally speaking people, don't get too ahead of yourself yeah exactly they have a bit of time <laughs> You know, they got a bit of time, right? And it's like, well, figure out what you do in a day. And, you know, the the 45 minutes that you spend on Instagram, is that really the most effective way to spend 45 minutes just mindlessly scrolling? Like, okay, I like a good meme, you know, as much as the next guy. Well, you don't need 45 <laughs> minutes for it, you know? And here's the thing on Instagram, you'll find it too. Hashtag, search your hashtag tags, fair trade coffee, literally. Like, and that's just it. It's so, it's literally right at your fingertips. Um, but it will come, like it will come. It'll, you, you have to be ready, you have to be ready, yeah. you know? And not, I, I mean, believe you me, this time last year, I was like, are you kidding me? I will always have milk. And then I was like, I will not have milk <laughs> this time this year. And it's just, um, but that's just, that's just for me. That's what works for me. Not everybody's there and not everybody can do it. And that's just the way it is. Like we can't have everybody. And, and this is, this is one of the sayings I like, we can't have a hundred percent of people being perfect. That will never happen, nor is it sustainable, nor is it beneficial to anybody to think that way. But what we can have is a lot of people making little adjustments and that literally together when we compound that it's huge you like people might not think a few dollars here and there makes a difference it really really does so um for and i always use food as that as that example just pick that one thing that you're like oh shit i can't live without that i need that every day and just change that look at it and um if you're on instagram the hashtags oh my god the hashtags you will go into that you want to go into a rabbit hole <laughs> well, be more efficient right it's just more but just be be more efficient because everybody can you know meet you know meet yeah people, right? you know not like i think i'm a hot shot over here oh i'm so good with everything i waste a lot of time too we all waste time um, you know There's oh my god me too you, you know and some night time that's fine that's fine just not all the time be reasonable be reasonable with being lazy too you know it's okay you know but we're all on netflix all the time anyways just maybe flip to a documentary you know, seriously. Well, I mean, I'm really, I've really gotten on parks and recreation lately. I've just watching the entire, the entire 
I hadn't watched it before and now I'm watching it and I'm like, I've spent three hours tonight watching Parks and Recreation and I could have been writing an essay on climate change. And I'm like, you know what though? This is what I need right now. And it's, and that's it's cool. just, we're all human. We have to enjoy life. And um, my whole thing is if it impedes on your enjoyment of life, knowledge is power. But if you're doing something that really, really impedes on your enjoyment of life, then maybe activism in another area might be better for you, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, cause you can't do good if you don't feel good at all. So, yeah. So yeah, that's why, I mean, living, so going back to food media with this frame of mind where I'm like, oh, I, I, I can't say this, not because I don't want to, but because like physically I can't say it because to my core, I don't believe it. You know, when I do segments now, I, I look for sponsors. If I get a sponsor, sometimes I just do segments because I feel like something really needs to be said or have it really needs to be shown to an audience or something. But if I look for a sponsor, if I'm like, oh man, I'm doing it, you know, for Halloween, like I did the chocolate bar and uh, like a homemade chocolate bar. I was like, well, you know, uh, chocolate bars, what we go out trick-or-treating for are filled with really bad things from like palm oil. And I'm not talking like bad, like, oh, they're full of sugar. So they're bad for you. Like, don't care care about that I'm like no ethically like they're full of horrible things like palm oil really horrible chocolate that has not been um you know produced or or extracted in a fair or or um responsible way like all of these things uh I was like so why don't since we have this open space right now for Halloween because in Ontario I don't know what it was like in BC but in in Ontario Halloween was canceled (laughs) so like it was canceled so literally so I said well why don't you just make your own at home instead of putting your money towards you know these companies that you know use a ton of plastic wrap and that use all of these resources um why do not make them at home? And I got this sponsor for a segment that is actually a um, Canadian cooperative, a Canadian organic fair trade chocolate cooperative that makes the best baking chocolate I've ever had. And I had them sponsor a segment of mine. And that way I can really, and not because I was like, oh, I need the money. I'll just tap them. I'm like, oh, do I agree with their practices? Do I agree with their product? It's the best product I've, I've ever, ever used in, in, chocolate and baking ever it's called Camino it's a cooperative out of Ottawa they're fantastic they sell them all across Canada um in the baking aisle and and their chocolate bars too but it really like where it aligns with you so it um yeah it's just a really neat space to be in where you find those those products that you're like oh I this isn't just something that I buy I actually have a relationship with it I've invested my time in it. I really can get behind what they're saying. And then you, every time you buy it, you're like, oh, I'm paying like two extra bucks, but wow, do I ever support them? And it's just like anything else that you do, you know, you want to support, Hey, Kanye West comes out with something and you love him. Hey, you'll pay that extra hundred bucks or whatever, because you really like Kanye and you want to support him, you know, maybe just look at something else like that as well. So, so that's my philosophy on it. Like you can really get behind something if, you know, if you align with it. So, so yeah. I like it. Thanks. <laughs> um, we're oops, bumping the computer. Um, we got a bit of time left, but we're kind of on the back okay. end of it. But sure. um, one of the things I want to ask you, so we talked about some of the, the, the not so good experiences uh, that you've had, but 
Um, the what are some media? Ones that were really positive, like some that were just really stand out that were enjoyable or, you know, you got well, for, to work with someone that was great, you know, what, whatever it may be. Uh, so for food media. <laughs> so when I was in London, and this isn't like a celebrity chef or something, but when I was in London working for Delicious Magazine, um, I got to go on these photo shoots and there was this, and I would go do food styling for the photo shoots. And there was this photographer there and she was so funny and she was so talented and she was really intense and she loved cats. <laughs> and I remember we went and we shot at her house and she shot everybody's, like every British person, she shot their books from Jamie Oliver to Gordon Ramsay. Like she would be at their homes shooting their books. Oh, cool. And I was like, tell me everything you know and um well there's some things that I can't repeat but um <laughs> but she told me about this time that she was at Gordon Ramsay's house and um his so they were kind of putting stuff out and laying stuff around because when you do food styling for a photo shoot for like a cookbook like for Gordon, one of Gordon Ramsay's cookbooks you have all of your props or food so you have to make sure that your food can be shot. So when your food needs to be shot, it's going to be cold. It's never hot. Like you don't shoot a burger and it's hot. You know, it, it'll dry up really quickly. You have to like shoot a burger when it's cold and it's brushed with oil and, you know, everything needs to look gooey on it, but it in no way is like hot or fresh out of the oven. It's all food style to look that way. So they were lying um, all of their props, which were like dishes, you know, plentiful with roasted carrots brushed with oil to make them look like they're hot out of the oven they're putting it on his pool table it's <laughs> a good use of a pool they were putting it on his pool table to like set it aside for like the next shot so they could quickly pull it and bring it into like whatever room they were shooting shooting in and um his wife her name's tana she came in and she was like what the hell you're putting your pops on my pool table or whatever she did with her accent I don't know that was very not like she's probably very posh and that was a horrible accent but that she was just like oh my god get your food off of my pool table and she like just picked it up and like yanked it and put it somewhere else and I just thought that was really funny and they were like yeah she was really pissed off I was like well no shit like how much is a pool table like you're like I know where we'll put the food props which are like everything brushed with oil to make it look like it's hot out of the oven on a pool table and I was like oh my god I mean they were on platters and like food styles and stuff and they were just resting the platters there but still so she was pissed um but I loved hearing all of those stories uh what else I like just kind of exciting stuff. Nigella Lawson is actually one of my favorite. I actually went and got my, my master's in journalism because of her, because she was a journalist. And when I was at Delicious um, Magazine, I remember we were going to feature her in one of the, in one of the, the issues. I actually probably have, anyways, I don't know if you know Nigella. She's right here. She's this sexy oh, little one. <laughs> Oh, I love her. She's like, you know, Oxford educated, just knows everything about food. And she, um, 
I remember the editor had just gotten off a phone call with her and said, what would happen is that at Delicious, we would get these recipes from these chefs. And before we publish them in the magazine, we would have to test them to ensure that everything that we were about to publish in the magazine was exactly as it said. And um, we would have these little, you know, we would, we would email these chefs, these chefs, um, representative representatives and be like, this actually cooked in 12 minutes, not 10. So we'll need to change it to, to fit the magazine. Um, so that, so that people trust the magazine. And I remember Nigella Lawson was saying to the editor right before she came into a meeting, you know, if you test them, I need you to come to my house and test them because I need to ensure that you are doing everything as I say in the book, you know, and I just really liked that. I was like, you mean I, I, might, I might go to Nigella's house and be able to test them? So that, I mean, I was like an arm's length away from everything that I, that would have been cool. But, um, but yeah, that was really, I just found that really neat because I, I really got it. I wanted to go to journalism to get my master's in journalism in the UK because I just love UK press and media and UK celebrity chefs and um just being able to be at that little bit of arm's length from them was super exciting. Um, and what other stuff have I, that I, did I think was really, really cool? Um, like that's the kind of stuff I nerded out on, but there are always things that kind of happen serendipitously that I really liked. Uh, I remember Chef Lynn Crawford was a judge on a cooking competition I was on. She's a Food Network Canada chef. She went up and told my dad after he watched something I was in, she was like, you know, your daughter has a really good palate. And he was like, oh, uh, and oh, goodness. I know that there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff. It's One always, of the most hor- you stop recording. It's always like, oh, I got 30 stories, that crap. Yeah. I remember um, there's this guy, John Cattucci, who hosts this show called You Gotta Eat Here, and it's on Food Network Canada. And I was on a show he was on, and he was just so excited for me. He was like, I know you, you're gonna do really big things. I really, like, I just see, like, you're so great. I just really like you. And then I remember me and my sister were like, and he was leaving the studio as we were leaving as well. He was like, I really like you. I hope the best for you. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> um, I like that. And then there's this chef called um, Curtis Stone. And he's this Australian chef. And he hosts a ton of show on the Food Network. And he's in every single magazine. And um, I remember I got to go interview him once for a segment I was doing. And he was actually one of the first people I used to just watch him on loop on the Food Network. I would just always turn on. He had the show called Take Home Chef when he was first starting out. I used to watch him on a loop. And then everything just came full circle when the show called me and they were like, we need you to, to interview him at this fair. And you guys are going to walk around and do fun things. And, and I couldn't believe it was such a 360 moment because I said to him, you don't understand. I, I watched you. And I went to cooking school because of you. And that was just a really nice 360 moment. And he was absolutely lovely. And um, yeah, he was just lovely. So that was that was some of the, the, the cooler stuff. And then my best experience, though, 
was when I walked onto the Stephen and Chris set. I remember I was really nervous going into it. The Stephen and Chris set on CBC, which the show isn't on anymore because Chris passed away. And he, I remember I just walked on and music was playing and there were, I mean, it was such a big show. There was like an audience of like a hundred people. And there was like, you know, there was like four cameras and, you know, a whole set of people. And I just walked on and I felt absolutely so comfortable. And I walked on and the hosts, Stephen and Chris, who were so sincere, hugged me and they, we just had fun. I remember just leaving for the first time, leaving a set and going, oh my gosh, that was so much fun. And the audience was like cheering and clapping and I love people, right? So the fact that I could actually like make people feel happy at that moment, that was a really surreal time. I'll never forget just leaving there and saying, oh wow, it was all like, I feel like it all led to this. So that was really nice. those are those are really 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 cool moments that that I really like and my my eyes are going everywhere because I keep on reminiscing about that. But those are really really neat moments that you just think, oh my gosh, I, I watched all these people and now they're just they're talking to me and we're part of you know we're part of a collective. But the thing with food media is, and I think that you could probably say the same for any kind of media circle, basically any kind of specialty circle is that you, you'll notice that you'll start to work with the same people over and over and over again. So it starts to end up being quite small. So your chances of running into somebody that's maybe very well-known or maybe not well-known or whatever, when you're working in a small niche circle like that, it, they'll really become, you know, they'll really become a lot bigger. <laughs> so it's neat. If you really want to work somewhere and meet your idols and whatever, like go into the niche because- you'll get to it right well and you pointed that out too with with going to the uk like you probably well i mean you don't really know for sure anything but you know it's probably fair to say it likely you wouldn't have worked with the people that you would have worked when you were there if you weren't there you gotta be there you know it was i was like oh my god i can go to nigella lawson's house i didn't i ended up leaving um before uh my time there ended before they actually went to her house to do all of the recipes. But I was like, <gasps> I mean, it could have gone two ways, right? It could have, <laughs> it could have, she could have been a real bitch, <laughs> which I highly doubt, but she probably would have been very specific because they're her recipes. They're her, her babies. Right. And, or it could have gone swimmingly, but whatever way it would have been, it just would have been great. I've heard, you know, I've heard stories. I think we've all heard stories about people meeting their idols and it going tits up so I'm you know I'm almost glad that that didn't didn't happen but but yeah she's just such an such a tremendous example of like good writing and good recipes and like really foundational knowledge of something not just throw away but just really investing her time and energy and strength into learning about a subject and then writing about it so yeah that I feel like such a nerd right now (laughs) I could have been like I could have been like anybody else but yeah but yeah that was it for me at arm's length Nigella Lawson and then everything else (laughs) yeah kind of off topic but I kind of listening to you talk about that I had a had a thought um yeah when it comes to so my my brother's quite a he's a hell of a well you know he's he's a great cook he's like legit you would be which one Jordan or Evan? Evan Oh, Evan! Yeah, okay. Nothing. <laughs> <I'm talking laughs> 
I'm I'm more closer to Evan than I am to Jordan on the on the cooking skill side, but uh, that's a low bar for Jordan. But uh, yeah, he'll appreciate that. <laughs> but uh, you know, so now that I'm home, I you know kind of see what everybody else watches on TV and stuff. And when it comes to like the the Food Network or Food Channel, like I guess there's like a couple different ones, pretty much like the main hubs or whatever. Then like CBC will do their thing and yeah, once um, in a while, yeah. But with the the one thing that I've noticed, and and the person I heard talk about this was Bill Burr on his podcast because okay. he used to say that he would watch. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. This is about fifteen years ago. He's an Italian, okay. but he had a really oh. great cooking show. Yep was do you get a name it wasn't emerald i don't think so was, was it mario batali uh yeah may, yeah i think so yeah big guy i don't know okay. whatever whatever bill whatever billy burr says but okay I, I think it was the italian guy and um but but he said that what he liked about him was that you would actually learn how to cook and this whole show was how to cook now it seems like, and from my observation, it seems to be the case, which is it's all competition style shows. And the only one that I enjoy watching is Bobby Flay, because I love Bobby Flay. And I just like the fact that he like pretty much always beats everybody. So it's great. But it's kind of funny because it's like, well, I want to learn how to cook. And it's like, I don't know what the show is. I don't, you know, you get unless you have a foundational knowledge of cooking you can't learn it's tough you know or it's you really it. tough and it's like oh here's it's... a friggin' cow balls like cook something with that it's like what the hell it's so wasteful <laughs> too because i can tell you i've done a i've done a cooking competition before on television and i will tell you the judges <laughs> will take one bite and it will go in the garbage and it won't go in a compost it will go in a garbage so it like and so then so you get to this point right where you see animal products steaks um butter milk everything anything that you can imagine going in the trash and you just you see i've seen it and it's not just one thing like it's not just a scrape you know that the cast isn't the cast or the crew aren't going to eat something that's been sitting there for eight hours like you don't nobody eats it so you have all this food that you cook and then you throw away and it is so the amount of disrespect like the, the fact that people are starving the fact that people are you know that we're having a huge climate crisis the fact that food waste is 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 60 percent of the food in our country goes in the garbage like and you see that and you just think holy shit what world are we living in and at what point does this does this commodity step up and go, oh my God, we shouldn't be doing this anymore. But they don't, they don't care. And this is what a producer told me um, last week, a producer I was talking to about um, my little social impact media company was like low and lowest common denominator, Joanna, you are, your audience is the lowest common denominator. So anybody that is sitting there going, no, I want this. The reason why they're making that is because they're saying, I know the lowest common denominator and it's the person that wants this. So then they're making it for them. They don't have to think. They have cheap shots at the guests or the cooks or whatever. They do stuff that's performative. Like people are like, yeah, but that's what I like to see. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, 
people leave this show and they go home and they cry and they have no self-esteem. All this food goes into the garbage. This food is as cheap as it comes because, you know, they want to save as much money as possible. So they're buying the cheapest steak, the cheapest, every single thing, every thing is as cheap as it comes. So there's no, there's no environmental responsibility to it too. So everything that this is perpetuating is horrible and people are like no but i want to watch that i'm like yeah you want to know why because that producer's like i know what this stupid audience wants they want that they want that because they're stupid and that literally they're like no our audience no 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 they don't want that they don't want an oscar they want stupid and it's true and it, it it's this is the rhetoric that comes out of people's mouths when explaining what an audience wants so it sucks right and it the thing is is that if we started putting you know a little bit more information a little bit more finesse a little bit more empathy into something what would happen oh people would turn it off well what else is on like so let's why don't we make the lowest common denominator something that you know actually is beneficial for everybody just a little bit but that's not they want a quick win. They want a low hanging fruit. They don't, they're like, look, we're not here for brain surgery. We're not here for rocket scientists. We're here to make a show that people are going to watch and that's it. So, um, it's, it's a bit of a problem, but, uh, that's why you just have to, that's why you have to direct your attention elsewhere if you can. Right. Um, don't get me wrong. I love watching reality t- television once in a while too, but this is all some people watch. Yeah, it's all they watch. They're like, oh, and did you see that person, you know, in the Real Housewives, like throw that table? And did you see this person on the Food Network, like their hair on fire? Ha ha ha! And I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> we used to read books and play the piano <laughs> as a way to pass the time. <laughs> you know, people watched, you know, that rockets and spaceships go to the moon, and now we're like, I know what I'm gonna watch. What the Gordon Ramsay? Gordon that- Ramsay. Oh. There's this. There's this thing where like this meme that Gordon Ramsay off an episode of Hell's Kitchen. He takes he takes two pieces of bread. Oh yeah. And he puts That's them my on favorite one. <laughs> a girl stays and calls her an idiot sandwich. An idiot sandwich. I mean, that is one of the funniest things I've ever heard of in my life, you know. But it's like, and, but it's a cooking, it's a cooking show. <laughs> like, is that but really- it's not? Is that really the, the vibe of a cooking competition thing? It's like, yeah, you're a piece of shit. It's like, okay, let's like, <laughs> They're like, I know. Yeah. I know. I'm horrible. And you're like, oh, shit. This is what we've come to. Um, and I, I want to say that, like, we can all watch that and walk away, you know, thinking that is what it is. And it's just a piece of fun. But it's, it's the norm. So then that's a problem. <laughs> well, and, and that's kind of the thing. Like, it seems like with, I mean, and you're in the industry, so you'll be able to tell me, but it definitely seems like the last five years, just the number of competition, you know, the, the, the and they're all, the, they're all the same thing. That's the funny thing. Like every show is the same fundamental yeah. thing. They just, it's a different name or it's a twist, but it's the same. Yeah. But yeah. And it even seems like the the instructional, like, can I find a show on how to cook? It's hard to find. Like, it seems you gotta like pay. I don't look that hard considering, but 
should I have to look that hard? Like, why is that such a difficult thing to, to ask? Like on, well, you, on networks, I mean, you know, YouTube. Yeah, you have to, oh yeah, you know, you gotta like pay extra for it. You gotta like go to a master class and like actually pay extra for like no BS or whatever. Honestly, love Jamie Oliver though. Like it, for me, he's just the best kind of, I mean, there's a lot of talking and there's a lot of hand actions and there's a lot of sudden movements, but, um, but I, for me there, or there, but there's always going to be a, a, there's always going to be finessing because it, at the end of the day, it has to be entertainment. So if you actually want to learn how to cook something, you're going to have to pay for it. Like you have to pay for your education. Right. Um, so that's it. There's always going to be finesse. Yeah, I know it's, it, it's, that's actually a very, very, very good point right um which is why people like which is why it's changed so much because you found that this was entertaining and you know I just find reality tv I'm not like my husband's like we can't please don't <laughs> please don't put it on I'm not I'm it's, gonna it it it's upsetting <laughs> it's so exploitative like, it's so exploitative people have like such huge rates of depression and then they're like more reality tv more social media and then we just have like this the highest rate of depression we've ever had in like the, the western world and people are just so they it's just like a, it's like a serotonin cycle like mm -hmm. a dopamine cycle where they're like oh shit i feel like shit i just want to keep on putting something else in my brain to entertain me and it's like the fact that we're laughing at other people's embarrassment i mean what are we but at the same time i mean we're all human i don't know but we've just we've just been reduced to to to, to just such an automatic feed that by and this is where i bring it back to actually like doing informed decision making when you actually take a step back as a consumer or someone, you know, as a viewer or whatever it is, whatever it is that you're consuming, when you take a step back and you say, here are my options, which one am I going to pick? And for which reason, being able to do that, being able to like interrupt your neural pathways from being so automatic to doing that, I'm telling you, and I think that we talked about this before earlier in the week, that learning will electrify your brain. So by being able to do that, the confidence that comes from it, you know, when someone asks, asks you a question on a subject, you can answer, you know, well, why do you do this? Well, I do this because of this, 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 and this reason, instead of going, well, I don't know, maybe it's just a better thing to do. Okay. I'll just go back to doing it that way. Like it's the, the way that it actually like builds the muscle that is your brain is, it is electrifying. So, um, it's really an opportunity. And I look at when something is so over-processed or over-prescribed, I look at that really, I can feel so alone and so miserable, but then I'm like, wait, there's an opportunity here to go against the grain, to be a disruptor. And to do that is so liberating. You are like freeing yourself from the shackles. And even if it's just for five minutes, who cares? Who cares if no one sees you debating with yourself in front of a mirror? just do it and then like see maybe how things change later so um yeah but but where that entertainment factor comes down no matter what you're watching if you're watching housewives throwing wine at each other so sexist um i want to see the real real house husbands this is what i want to see you know what they'd be like well they just sit around being calm i'm like no yeah get them jacked 
get them jacked up on something. Yeah. <laughs> like Dart tournament. Some fun, you know. <laughs> yeah, get some steroids in there. Do it. Throw some hot girls in. Hey, a fast car. Let's do this. Yeah, let's do that and see what happens. <laughs> but it's um, it's the same denominator for everything, right? It's just entertainment. Um, and and it's really liberating to to disrupt that, and then to also be able to look at it as just that little piece nobody wants you to do that though they just want you to just keep on consuming it but Mm -hmm. if you consume it and balance it out with other things it's just oh the balance oh when you're not a slave to these things anymore it's 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 really such a beautiful place to be you know even just having the perspective even if you aren't able to make the choice financially or from a consumer perspective just having the information so that maybe you can one day aim for that is is uh the best feeling yeah it's being human to the to the best degree so highly recommend a little bit of research Well, and it'll go a long way right i mean that that's, yeah. that's the idea you know and and mm-hmm. a one i mean i say this all the time which is like you know it's amazing how fast like this is we're recording this it's april 30th and it's like i know what what like you know and it's gonna be made about how fast time goes by if you make every day one percent better than yesterday mm-hmm. that's a hell of a lot and you know okay it's never this it's gonna be you know right you know life happens yeah for the most part, if the if you're pushing in that direction, yeah, percent a day adds up quick, really quick. And life isn't linear. Like everybody thinks when I tell people about my story and what I was able to do and how I stepped back where I am now, they're like, oh, you know, it just seems like you had this and now you're back. I'm like, no, no, there's none of this. There was this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And now I can do whatever I want because I, you know, I went through all these ups, ups and downs, not only because of the, the resources available to me now, but because of the perspective that I have now. And um, how scary would that be to just have everything handed to you and then have something go wrong and then just think your life is over? <laughs> no, like having a thick skin is, is probably the best thing that could have come out of being having every experience that I've had. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it really is. There's, there's just so many ups and downs. Yeah. You really just have to ride that out and see and, and, and pivot when you get there. Right. Because you might not be able to, you know, you might lose your job one day, but that doesn't have to be your story you know, and the 1%, just a little tiny bit, maybe just do this extra little bit here, half a percent. Hey, still something, you know, it's anything, anything It will give you a little bit of framework to work with so that you can make a different decision or like it's literally never too late to change your mind, to change your ways. I heard this fantastic quote, it was like, I'd rather be a hypocrite than stay the same person my entire life. <laughs> and I 100% agree with that. Cause I'm like, oh my God, I've never do this. I never do that. And I'm like, oh my God, I was an asshole. And you know what? Maybe in 10 years, I'll be like, I can't, are you kidding me? I can't believe I said that. But 
that's what happens when we learn. And I think people are so scared that things are on record now or whatever, just like throw your hands up and say, look, I'm changing my mind and that's it. And if the people around you don't respect that or support you, then once again, they're probably not your people. So. Well, it's interesting yeah. that inherent, if you're trying to grow, you think you have to risk being offensive a bit. Yes. You know, you and actually, this is how movements just, happen. Yeah. You know, and it's, 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 you know, not like crazy, like you have to have reason and, you know, there has to be uh, parameters, mm -hmm. but, you know, in order to kind of go somewhere, um, you got to kind of, you know, you got to push it a little bit and, you know, and then if it blows up back and back off, <laughs> reevaluate, you know, try, exactly. try a different way, you know, but you have to, um, you got to try something. God. Yeah. And that's how movements happen, though, too. Like, I always think, like, what would happen to, you know, America if Abraham Lincoln didn't exist? Like, would somebody else have stepped up and abolished slavery? Like, what would have happened, you know? But there's, just, I always think about these pivotal points in history and just think, what would have happened? But, you know, if he wasn't there, somebody else would have. Like, eventually, right? Like, all of these things that happened in society, you know, if there wasn't this certain movement or that certain movement, like who would, but it all would have accumulated to someone doing something eventually. So um, I, at least I hope so. So it, it, and it that's all why we got you in food media. <laughs> my God. I, that's it. Right. Yeah, right. Gotta yeah, that's me. Gotta start something. <laughs> No? Well, that's me. Well, that's, I mean, that's what I hope to do. So I really hope that I can, I can make, um, make a big impact. And, you know, all of these things that I learned before I learned how to pitch segments properly. I learned how to pitch articles. I learned how to do all of these things. I learned that, um, you know, how to make friends in a very genuine way to how to create your own community. And now I was like, oh, wait, I can go back and use all of those contacts I have and use those networks I have in order to go on here and say this and go on here to say that. So it's all worth it. Just, you know, just it's all worth it in the end. <laughs> ah, well said. It's all worth it. <laughs> yeah. no, I, I like it. And thank you. Kind of. Um, it's probably a good as my yeah. timer died on me but um ah, it died now, now now that's how you know it's good timing it's but, done um kind of to close it out um I, I guess with covid it might be a bit difficult as far as like some of your future projects because it just might be a bit uncertain but um right. with any writing or if there are mm -hmm. shows or anything like that like where can people find you or keep track of what you're up to well, they can find me uh, on my website at www.joannatinku.com. That is J-O-A-N-N-A-T-Y-M-K-I-W.com or joanna.tinku at Instagram. I usually keep things uh, pretty updated on there on what I'm doing. Uh, yeah, and I mean, with, with COVID right now, as soon as things lift in... Ontario I'm going to be filming my uh my first short film uh so that that's exciting. I'll just keep people I'll keep people updated on that um yeah and you know you can just google me <laughs> but I have a whole I have a whole whole um I would say a small portfolio of my work up on my website so you can read you know my stuff from my global mail to my um national observer to 
um, you know, my former cooking column to my more recent appearances, uh, that's on there as well. But I think you'll, you'll see that things will definitely have more of a, a pivot to them, which is, uh, less, um, Susie homemaker and more enlightening, hopefully. That's so, yeah. I like it. Perfect. Yeah. No, that's great. And thank you so much for being here. It's always, uh, I, I, I love doing these. So it's just fun to talk to people thank and you. talk about different things and yeah, it's just a great time. So yeah, thank you so much for being here and uh, well, we'll, be, we'll be in touch, you know. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Marcus. I really appreciate it.